We've all heard the horror stories of when good construction projects go bad. Well, on the podcast today, I'm joined by Judy Keith-Brown, a registered architect with the NZIA, and Perry Barber, one of our own RMBA members who's been in the game longer than he cares to count. We learn how to prevent jobs from going bad, Judy and Perry share insights on the importance of a great architect and builder relationship. We also discover how they choose customers and how they set their projects up for success. Understand why great communication really is the magic wand for a successful project. Judy and Perry, welcome along to the Registered Master Builders Elevate podcast. Very delighted you could join me today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Alrighty, we'd like to kick off this podcast giving some value to our listeners straight away. Uh, interested, Judy, could you share your top three insights for us on what we need to do to get really successful uh, building outcomes when we're working between, you know, architect, builder, and obviously our, our end customer as well? Definitely. Good relationship with the client is key. And often when I talk with young architects and actually other builders and so on, who've gotten to jobs that aren't that comfortable and they've kept going with them, they've really regretted it. And I've said, you know, if you go and meet somebody and for some reason things don't feel right, just don't go there because actually dealing with a job that is tricky is not a nice place to be. Whereas if you have a really good project, you know, you get a lot of joy out of it and so do your clients, but the alternative can be really bad. So actually if you if you don't click with that client, there's no reason why you have to do the job. It's actually better to say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm quite the right person for this project. And so that's super important. And then the next point from us is remember that it's important to get a good builder and a good architect, and it's worth waiting for us to come along. In slack times when things aren't busy, all of the bad builders and the bad architects kind of disappear. But in boom times like we're having at the moment, the good architects and the good builders get really, really busy and, and the bad ones sort of reappear. So what you want, what's better is to just say to your clients, look, let's just wait another 18 months or whatever and then we can do the project for you, but it's worth waiting. You know, people spend a lot of money on a house alteration, so they really want to know from the beginning that they're going to get good results and that's super important to them and to us as architects and builders. Our last point is probably about the importance of actually having a really good registered architect and a really good registered master builder. Ultimately, it will save you time and money and stress. Um, I mean, Perry and I have worked together for, I don't know, 10 years or more um, on a variety of projects. And, you know, the relationship between a builder and an architect is super important as well. Like um, we can almost read each other's minds and kind of know um, where each other's coming from. So, you know, that relationship between architect and builder is, is really important too. Okay. And we'll, we'll dig into some of the uh, finer points around why being a registered architect and registered master builder can make a, make a difference. Um, I'm sure many of our audience are familiar because they are registered master builders themselves, but uh, it'd be good to recap some of those things. Um, I'm, I'm firstly interested in a comment you made around what you're observing in the industry at the moment. Um, very high demand. Um, give me your insights, what you're seeing from the, the sector at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, look, from my point of view, it's uh, I, I tell people sometimes it's almost one of the busiest times I've ever been in my life, but I, I don't think it's necessarily the busiest time. What it is is it's the work in the future. I've always quite often had a year's worth of work in advance and things like that, but now it's probably more like two years in advance 
And I'm even talking to clients about in three years' time and things like that. So I think it's more, you know, you can only do so many jobs at one time. So depending on how big you are or whatever and all that sort of stuff. So I think I've been in this position before where I've had a lot of work going and we're all the crews and everyone's busy, but it's more what's coming up in the future. That's how I'm finding it. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, think we're in a situation at the moment where money's cheap. People have been in their houses during lockdown. Um, A lot of people are working from home. Suddenly houses and their homes have become super important. And um, so there are a lot of people wanting to do work and we just like I I, in one week I turned down I think I had six people ring me up um, about doing work to their houses and Perry and I I know we've got probably work between well I've got work for Perry to do for the next say three years Um, and, and it's that constant kind of feed but because we keep in contact I know what Perry's workload is. I know, you know, how long things are going to take. So we can plan ahead. And similarly for our joiners and so on, if we can, if we can plan ahead with them, then we can be realistic with our clients. So it comes back to that good communication thing and that collaboration thing, which yeah, Perry and I've built up over the last 10 years we've worked together. Yeah, it's, it's good to make the programs and stuff like that, but yeah. also for the future work as well, you know, yeah. and, and it does really help. It helps me figure out what I've got coming up. And so at least people's expectations are correct when you when you give them plenty of time, you know, or, you, or you'd be re- more realistic with your dates. Yeah, yeah. And even if you push it out sometimes and bring it forward, that's a bonus yeah. rather than the other way around. Yeah. So when we're very first setting up a relationship with a prospective customer, uh, you mentioned that you've got to choose a, choose a good customer. Um, I'm interested in your insights and how you go about assessing whether a customer is going to be a good fit for you and, and be good for the duration of a, a project. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be very interested in some stories where you feel like you got it absolutely right and why you felt you got it right and maybe uh, an example of what, how you thought it was going to be okay and then it didn't pan out um, in the in the uh, relationship across, you know, architect, builder and, and customer. Uh, Judy and I particularly do a lot of legwork. I do a lot of legwork mm-hmm. with customers and, and, and you know, for jobs coming up in the future anyhow. So um, mm. so you meet them and you, and you communicate with them. You know, most people are reasonable judges of character. I mean, you can sort of see if there's any any butting of the heads or things like that, or you just, some people, unfortunately, just you rub each other the wrong way, you know. And I like to think that I could tell if someone didn't like me very much. So I would use that as an example. If they don't like me, they're not going to like me in six months' time when I rip the house to pieces. Sure. Are they? So, Sure. It's sort of, and if you, you know, if they get along with you and you get along with them, then it, it makes it a lot easier, obviously. But, um, and my judge of character, I think, is, is reasonably fair. And then yourself as Judy, when we meet mm. people, it's not. Mm. Can I just ask a, a question for you? So, typically, how many times will have you met a customer before you throw a hammer in anger, you know, before a project starts? Maybe 10 at the max and maybe four or five at the least. I meet them for a lot of different reasons as well. Um, and then when the project's ours completely, then I quite often I'm on site and we plot the drains or do what we're doing and I'm meeting them then as well. But but those initial meetings before any, you know, like as you say, before any any work's done there, I would say a minimum of five times. For me, starting off as an architect, sometimes people say to me, oh, look, we can just bring you the existing drawings of our house. You know, you don't need to come and see it. 
and they don't understand why I have to go to their house and why I have to measure their house. Like when I measure people's houses, it's not just to get the dimensions and work out how high the windowsills are and the ceiling and all of that sort of stuff. You actually get a really strong feeling about how people live in their houses and whether or not their houses are happy houses or, you know, you get, people don't realise how much you pick up um, just walking in the door of someone's house, you know, whether it's comfortable, whether they sit down for dinner, whether they actually cook, you know, how many kids they've got, whether they read books, whether they watch TV, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I'm getting all this stuff when I'm in someone's house and meeting them. I, I did one project um, for a couple who lived in Australia and I never got to see how they lived in their house, but I was fixing up a house they had here in Wellington. And so I had to just go off what they showed me in photographs and what they wore and so on. And I, luckily that job went quite well, but you know, when, when we meet people, and I, I was thinking like Perry and I went and looked, um, the other way that Perry gets involved quite often is I meet the clients first and then Perry comes along with me and gives people a rough idea of cost fairly early on at sketch plan stage, like the one we did in Newtown. I think Perry, I could almost tell, he could sort of see these people tire kickers and they weren't really going to go far with that project. Um, and the house was scruffy and they hadn't looked after it. And, you know, People who live in a house like that don't really have any respect for their houses. So you kind of know that they're not going to go and spend, you know, 300000 or whatever fixing them up. So there's actually not much point in us going too far down the track on that. So I get involved at that really early stage. The reason that I like working with Perry is because Perry's a really good communicator, really clear and really honest. And like he said it before, you know, 90% of being a good builder is communication. And I'd say that's the same we have to be good communicators and, and figure out how people are you know like yeah. you say and as you said like with tire kickers and stuff you can sometimes tell you you know some people have got unrealistic values you go into their house with something and they think oh you know i want to spend two hundred thousand dollars and it's not going to be it's going to be five hundred thousand easy before yeah. you even started you know sort of thing and um that's why it's quite good sometimes to get it i mean i might be wrong by 50 or 60 grand when i'm giving a rough estimate off schedule even more sometimes depending on what sort of spec they're going for but at least they've got an idea um, if they're thinking, you know, they can spend a hundred thousand dollars, well, they're not going to be able to, you know, it's going to be more, and then, and then it stops that process or re they reset or whatever, yeah, and, yeah. and it goes from there. It's like um, we did a project a while ago, and um, they had a quite a limited budget, and they wanted to build an extension on their house, and so Perry's got this really good system with people. He goes, right, what's your budget? Okay, take off GST. And 15% off 200000 or whatever is actually quite a lot of money. And then he's like, okay, take off architect's fees, engineer's fees, council, um, fees. council fees, blah, 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 blah. So you end up with a certain figure and then divide it by, um, mm. you know, say four and a half, five thousand dollars $5,000 or whatever per square metre, and that's how much you can build. And, you know, and these clients went, that. But anyway, we got, we got down the track and the scheme that I'd done for them got smaller. And then their parents-in-law or something came and stayed for Christmas and they're like, actually, you should go back to Judy's biggest scheme because that's actually adding value to your house. Um, and so we went back up to the biggest scheme and that's what they built. And then they've just gone and sold it mm, <laughs> and bought yeah, this right. other house. So now we're on to our next project. Mm, right. with, yeah. with, but um, I think if you've got a good relationship like I've got with Perry, you know, you've got this to and fro kind of thing going on all the time. And it just means that you've got this trust thing going on. I'm interested, team, from a, a expectation setting perspective, and you've talked about expectations from, a, you know, costs and how we might interact. 
What do you position for clients right at the beginning in terms of what their journey is likely to look like? And I'm I'm interested uh, particularly to go how uh, much visibility do you give them of you know we're probably going to have some challenging conversations during this project. There you know I, I imagine uh, or share your insight with me uh, a job never goes perfectly. There is always some kind of variation or discussion or something that needs to needs to happen. Is that is that a fair insight? Most definitely, yeah. There's, yeah. That's why you have contingencies and contingency sums. And and for example, when clients, some clients decide they want to try and live in the house when we're doing work there or things like that. And you know, obviously, you want them to try and move out. But I always tell clients, you know, like you'll like these guys; they're all good builders and that. But if after a month or two of us being in your house every morning, you're going to hate us and you want us to get out of there, you know. The other thing too is that you know you don't know what you're going to find there, so you have to be prepared for the unknowns. Like for example, you know, in the past, every time you've gone to this particular area and you've done work here, the ground's been horrible, and then when it's found, it's not a big surprise. You know, a lot of them's drainage and stuff on these old properties that we do a lot of work on, and and then electrical and things like that. So, if people are prepared for it right from the onset, even at the pricing stages, because you don't know what's in there, and you give them the costings that you've got. Because, I mean, you can't price things totally accurately until you actually open some of the things up as well. So the really important thing to do, because every job's going to have issues, is to tell your client that, you know, we can't, we can do as good as we can, but you're not buying a car. You know, you're actually buying a piece, you've got a piece of land, um, you've got an old house, there are a whole lot of unknowns here. And until we start unpicking it, <laughs> and you don't want us to do that while you're living in it. So until we start unpicking that house, we, we don't know the full story. So I always put like a 10, um, 10% contingency sum into the contract and mostly we use it. At yeah, most of the time. time, you know, yeah. And, and, and it is obviously the client's money. They can decide. But the, the good thing about doing that is, you know, you can have a 10 to 15 or 20% contingency sum and people would say, well, you know, try and look, make the price look better by making the contingency look mm. smaller, but you're mm. going to end up spending it anyhow. Yeah. If they know from the word go, it makes the job so much easier. Because mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with dates, you know. Like if you tell someone I'm going to be there next week and you're not there, there's nothing worse. Mm-hmm. And any tradesman will tell you that. You know, it, it's just so annoying. And um, and any client, I'm bet you will say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. communicate with them, you ring them up the, the week before and say I can't make it next week. It'll be the week after. You know, everyone's on board and yeah, it's just it. keeping everybody informed. Okay, mm-hmm. look, there, when there are times where difficult conversations with customers are required because you know we couldn't foresee this particular element there are elements outside our control like we're seeing at the moment with uh, supply chain issues and availability of materials etc what what insight or guidance would you give to people in how they approach those difficult conversations with a client be honest yeah <laughs> that's what i think too just be honest you yeah, I mean, it's not, if it's out of your hands, you can't do anything about it. And so you've got to communicate it to them. An example is, um, you know, the roofers have let you down or something like that, and you can't get that done or, you know, the materials of some the sort. Decking, yeah, the decking. Really. Yeah, you can't get this particular sort of decking. Let them know straight away. You know, if they have to wait six months for something, then so be it. You know, and, and the other thing I've found too is if it, even if it's not your responsibility, if the client's gone directly to the kitchen guy and you've started to take it over or the window guy or whatever and you're communic- you're talking to them, you know, saying they can't do it, well, have you let the owner know? And if they haven't, well, then you let the owner know and just make sure that everything is above board. And as Judy said, honesty is just, I mean, you can't do anything more but be honest, can you? I mean, if- be, sounds like be honest and talk early. You know, communicate yeah, as soon as exactly. possible when things are things yeah. are happening because yeah, um, yeah. burying your head in the sand about things very really yeah, makes right. them go away. 
you know, you are dealing with someone's home and their own personal finances. So you're dealing with a lot of someone's lives. Um, and so that's, you know, it makes me quite sad when you hear bad stories about poor relationships between builders and, and clients or architects and clients, whatever, um, because we're looking after something that's incredibly incredibly valuable to people, not just in terms of the financial value, but the importance of their homes. But as Judy said, if you can be honest with them and just and communicate with them, then that, that's all you can do really. But mm. um, And you do have to, you know, every now and then you do have to have a really tough conversation with someone and it can be not very nice. But um, I think I've learned because I'm, you know, older now <laughs> to not take it personally and just to, get on and and do it and actually the tough times that you get through like I've just got through really tricky resource consent for a project with the council um and you know kind of celebrated at the end of it um Mm. so so if you take people along for the ride and you don't don't try and hide things um then it's good so I'm interested in a bit of insight uh, when you've got a job in train that you're both working on, uh, what would the kind of weekly cycle or maybe monthly cycle of communication look like? So you've mentioned site meetings. Are you also communicating by phone and email, updating each other? How much do you communicate? How much is too much or too little? Give me, give me some insight on that. Um, well, f- from my point of view, um, a lot of emails um, at the time. And then once the job, the project's ready, it's, it's usually weekly is quite good. Sometimes it feels like a bit of an overkill, but most of the time it's really relevant. And then at the site meeting, there's so many things that, you know, the client will pick up. And the other thing too is if you leave it fortnightly, it's sometimes it's just a bit too far ahead. Have the meetings really regular, I believe, for everyone's benefit, mm. Hey, mm. not only for Yeah, I mean, I mean, we have like at the moment, Perry and I have got um, two jobs on site. So one or actually two just about finished and one just about to start all over again. And so we usually, like, for example, the job that's just about to start, we're going to go and meet the client in two weeks' time or a week and a half time, and we're going to sign the contract, so the um, contract between Perry and the client, Um, and then we'll have weekly site meetings after that. But if something else crops up, Perry will ring me up and say, oh, look, you know, we've we've just surveyed the, um, done the video survey of the sewer, and it's going downhill, which is exactly where we want it to go. But it's full of old bits of pipe, so we're going to have to replace some of that piping. And so either he'll take a photo of it for me and send it to me, or I'll go up to site and have a look, and then we'll have a meeting. Um, So rather than a site meeting, we'll have a site visit with um, Perry and the plumber and sometimes the client. And, um, And then that can mean maybe there's going to be an extra cost on the job, so that's part of that contingency sum. So we'll get the Perry will say to the um, plumber, Gary, what's the extra cost for this? And Gary will go, it's going to cost like $7,000 more. We can let the clients know and then decisions made to proceed or whatever we need to do there. Um, so, we, yeah, so we have those sort of meetings and then we meet, um, then Perry probably rings me up, I'd say every day, <laughs> at least once about um, either one of those jobs or about what's coming up in the future or some issue with one of the subbies needs, you know, they need to know what the tiles are for the project or what the colour is or which light fitting we're using or any of that sort of stuff. And a lot of times the, the clients are working themselves and um, if they're not even living in the project as well, mm-hmm. sometimes they, they do go and look on the weekend. So look on a Sunday night or a Monday morning, you start getting emails from them which you respond to and the meeting might not be till Thursday or the Wednesday or whatever. So there's usually a lot of emails and bits and pieces, but all that's good because it keeps a paper trail and keeps everyone talking and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah. So it's 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 just all talk, 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 yeah. and communication and yeah. stuff like that. And then every every month, um, Perry puts in a claim for the work that's been done on site. And so on that invoice that he sends through, it's got where the job's at, um, any extras that have arisen, any extras that might be coming up in the future, anything that the clients have decided they want to do on top of what's on the drawings. And so I process that claim and put it through as a payment schedule. So there's there's that as well. And so I issue that to the client and then the client pays it. And also with the um, Takahui Whaihanga NZIA um, conditions of contract, there's a retention of 10% every on every one of those um, payment schedules. So we summarise all of that and then that's all released at the end of the job in two stages. There's like the, the master builders have got their, their contract, which goes with the master build guarantee. And then it's also the Architects Institute one, which goes with the, uh-huh. that's what I call the Architects Institute, uh, mm. the right one. That, Takahui Whaihanga, you'll yeah, get it one day. One day, yeah. yeah. That, well, that contract works with the master build guarantee as well. So they're compatible. Um, and it's just um, it, it just get, just makes everything quite clear and all that sort of stuff. And the other thing too with that that third party um, also helps the client feel more comfortable as well. You know, the, the architects assessing the work you've done and and you're not they're not paying too much and all that sort of stuff. So it keeps everyone happy and being happy. You know, it's not costing us builders anymore to have an architect there as such. In fact, it should help us. Yes. Um, you know, and a, unless you're butting head with the architects, then why are you you know you should be getting along. So. Um, and that's all there is, you know, and it just makes everyone's job so much easier, you know. And how often do you talk about the guarantees, which obviously with uh, being a registered architect and a registered master builder, you can access? How much, how much do you uh, talk about those prior to a job starting? We always do. Yeah, we give them, you know, or I let them know that I've got, I've got to any job over 30 grand, I think it is, you've got to provide the, the guarantee with as well. But there is other guarantees in the architects thing as well that you, that people provide as well, which is on top of that as well. So I've, I truly believe anyhow that if, if, you, if you're going to look after something, you're always going to come back yourself anyhow, you know, whether there's a bit of paper telling you to or not. But with the Mustable Guarantee, it gives a lot of customers peace of mind, I believe, and, um, and it's just something. And, and that, everybody takes it up. Yeah, I don't every, think we've had anybody say no. Yeah. And so, I mean, and it's just, um, you know, for that peace of mind side of things, and, and probably over the years, Maybe say if you got me 50 clients, I've probably had maybe five of them particularly asked if I am a registered master builder. The other 45 necessarily haven't, but they've taken up the guarantee because it's an offer that's there. Um, I build it into the cost of my quote anyhow, so it doesn't, it's not like an extra cost that they have to pay or anything. So it's already built in. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you know, if they've got that, then they've got the architects, um, you know, warranties liabilities and, bits of liabilities and stuff like that, then they should be pretty well covered. You know, so it helps with everyone and makes everything work a bit smoother. And then yeah. obviously we have like warranties and guarantees for some of the products. Mm. So like for the um, roofing or for the double glazing or for the waterproofing in the bathrooms or they like skylights or whatever you've got on the job, um, we've got those as well. The other, the other thing that's really important with architects working with them as well is like with off-site payments and bits and pieces. So for example, um, like there's deposits and that for for kitchen guys usually ask for deposits and that like joiners the, the the client gets all of their dishwasher and and the oven delivered to the joiner then it becomes under the joiner's umbrella for insurance and stuff like that and the architect helps with all those bits and pieces you know and if, if the joiner's given you a bill for 50 grand 
and you've got to give it to the client. The client says, well, where's, where's that? Then the architect will look after that side of it for you by saying, this is an offsite payment. We want to see photos. We want to see names next to it, all that sort of stuff. And it makes it really clear, makes the owner know exactly what they're up for. They, then there's no issue paying the money because there's nothing worse. You've got the joiner saying, well, give me the money and you can't get the money because they don't want to pay until they've seen something. So it just keeps everything cleaner and easier working like that, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you've started to provide some really useful insight there, Perry, into the value of uh, working with a full-service architect that goes right from initial design right through the build process through to completed completed home. Is there anything you'd like to add in, Judy, with uh, some other things that you think where there is real value in that? And you might want to contrast it. I mean, I, I think we hear things... Uh, stories and market of people going oh look I'm not just going to use an architect I'll just use a draftsman I've got a, a person who knows to do a bit of drafting I'll just get them to whip up some plans and away we go how would you contrast what you deliver to, to that approach? I've got a good example of that uh, I was on the plane going up to Auckland one time and I sat next to this guy um, who was from Wellington and he had a holiday home in Taupo and um, he'd had a draftee in Taupo draw up an alternative um, plan for the house because they found that the house was an old batch that had kind of grown and the whole thing was a bit stuffed and so they're going to pull it down and start from scratch so I pulled out the drawings because you know that's what I want to do first on the seven o'clock flight in the morning is look at somebody's drawings um, <laughs> and um, I looked at them and it was horrific it was you know on this beautiful site but the design was really awful it had this huge long corridor came through the front door looked straight at the toilet which is always a great start um, and then it had cellular bedrooms with tiny little windows and a really awkward staircase and um, and this is a whole new house you know there's no excuse for bad design I don't think and um, anyway by the time I got to Auckland he was like taking my all my details and stuff mm. he came into my office in Wellington and um, in the meantime I got hold of a young architect from Tauranga who actually does quite a lot of work over there and so got him lined up to do the job instead um, but what architects bring to a job is a lot of the initial stage is really listening to your client and working really really closely with them to understand exactly what they want and I've said this quite a few times and a lot of architects don't like that I say it, but by the end of the job, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to the client. So the client actually feels like they've made all the decisions. So architects can do, I'm not saying that we do magic, but we can actually bring something more to a project than just a set of drawings. You know, we bring along five-year degree that we've all had to work really hard to get to. We bring along a, um, an understanding of aesthetics, but also an understanding of comfort and an understanding of how to make people's homes more livable. We can just bring this quality of design, quality of detailing, but also this whole team. Like I quite often get Perry and early um, on my projects, not just for the costing, but just to sort of get a feeling of what he thinks of those clients, what he thinks of what I'm doing. So yeah, it's hard to describe exactly what architects bring, but I just think we bring a wealth of experience and quality of design and um, our listening skills and our communication skills to the projects. Also, you, you research on products and bits and pieces like that. There's yeah. like certain products. I mean, as a builder, we don't get to do yeah. you know as much research as we should in some cases. Anyhow, I believe like, like sustainability, exactly. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and then like you know that the insulation that you're talking about on yeah. the back of that wall, which acts as a fire rated thing, so that has to be done and all that sort of stuff. Well, I would never knew that yeah. stuff existed. Yeah. So there's a lot of background stuff that you yeah. guys do. Architects are more vested and not sorry, well, more vested in the project basically. Mm. 
if I was doing a project and I was naive and I was doing one of the projects in any of these areas or anything like that, I would have rather had an architect do it than the drafts people that I've used in the past do it mm-hmm. as well. And um, the main reason being is because you get a bit more character, a bit more personality. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, as long as like you're a really good listener as well, mm-hmm. like you've, I've worked with people that the architects that don't necessarily listen as much to not necessarily the builders, but also the clients. And they're almost being told that this is what they're getting yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, in, in certain situations, it might be different, but in the situations in the work that we do, yeah. I truly believe that it's, it's like you say, a relationship. Yeah. That, and, you know, you come up with all the ideas and bits and pieces and all the background stuff, and then we just make sure that it's all going to work. And, yeah. and go It's like, like Perry rang me up the other day because um, we're doing this job up in Wadestown and we've just put this at the top of these stairs in this house, um, put this big sliding door. And you sort of, you look at, I'm just looking at it from what it's going to be like for the building. And this is going to be a hassle. It's going to be three yeah. hours of glass. We've got to get up the hill and all that sort of stuff. But then once it's in, as soon as it's in, it's just set that whole place yeah. off. Like when I look at architects' work as opposed to draftspeople's work, there's quite often it might just be one element that really makes a difference. And like mm. in that house, I think probably mm. that big sliding door and then we've got these two box windows that have gone in. And they've like just small things can make a difference. I just look at like a lot of the architects that I really admire and they just do one little cool thing that makes all the difference. Mm. And it hasn't cost a fortune, but it you know, it really makes the project sing. And I think like Perry and I are getting more and more into sustainable design as well. And that's a whole other area where we're going to have to collaborate really quickly on to um, get up to speed for the 2050. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like, that's what you guys do as well. So if you're working with an architect, you know, they're specifying the products and bits and pieces. And if there's a particular product that I think, you know, is superior or whatever, or, something like that then I can mention it to you but if you've already done your research on it then this is the one that we're going with and all that yeah. sort of stuff so I think that uh, value brings certainly at a design perspective but also here in some uh, how you've recounted uh, Perry the value of the project being involved across the duration of the project so it, it's not just about here's some good design and here's some nice nice drawings now go for it you're you're staying involved in the project you're helping with that communication with the client you're interacting and getting things uh, addressed as they go along so um, it, it sounds like that's adding plenty of value as well. Um, I am interested in the sustainability piece. What are you hearing in market? Are people starting to ask you for the sustainability? And are are there two sides to the coin out there? Are some asking for it and are some doing the, why do I need it? Isn't it just going to cost more? What are you you observing? Okay. Yeah. From from my point of view, um, a lot of people now we're finding that they're, they're, you know, making provisions for future proofing for electrical cars and things like that. And, and um, solar and, and what alternatives they've got in the way of hot water cylinders and, and and obviously with this gas issue that's come up now and all that sort of stuff, some people are a little bit worried about it. I think it's wise that everyone does it. And I think that um, there's a lot of just simple things like, for example, you know, insulating under the floor, and which is a lot of stuff that get done now anyhow and insulating the outside of block walls if they're in the ground with polystyrene as well to help insulate the wall from both sides rather than just one. Some simple stuff is really good and easy to do as well and not very and it's cost effective, which is helping. And people are being more aware of it. I'm finding that the clients that we've had, most of them are, tend to be quite open to those things. There's a lot of research that can be done on it anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a bit of a myth out there that it's expensive, that sustainable design's expensive and sustainable buildings expensive. Like you know, you were talking about the um, value of having an architect on a project. The thing that you need to do right from the beginning in terms of designing something is thinking about the orientation 
you know, which way is north, where's the wind, um, how much rain is going to hit this wall, all of that sort of thing. So really understanding your site. And if you do do something like face a whole lot of glass south or whatever, of course you're going to ask for trouble. So that initial planning stuff, that design stuff is actually really important to get right. Um, and then Perry and I do quite simple things on the projects that we're involved in. Like, for instance, we always put under existing houses, we always put black polythene on the dirt under the houses to stop the moisture from rising. We always put good insulation between the floor joists. Um, the house we're sitting in right now, my house, um, on the south wall, which is just behind the screen, we've got an extra layer of um, 50 by 50 batten. So we've made the wall 150 thick so that we can get extra insulation in there. Um, we always do double glazed windows because um, they're part of our building code, but also we've worked out how to do that with, we've got windows that look Victorian, but are double glazed um, single hung timber windows. Um, and then we always do good insulation in the roof. Like Perry said, with concrete, we always put um, edge insulation and under slab insulation. And then with block, we always put um, like sandwich the block inside and outside with insulation. And then more, more and more people are putting in warm roofs. Mm. And, um, and we're also doing um, a lot with um, PV panels and solar water as well. And then people like Perry was talking about uh, future-proofing for electric vehicles. Um, people are now starting to look at the use of concrete and steel and trying to reduce that use. And we also try to reduce waste. But one of the things that I'm really proud of is the most sustainable thing you can do is to fix up an old house. Mm. And we, we do a lot of mm. that at Perry. We do, yeah. That's what we do all the time, right. rather than getting rid of it and starting from scratch, because you're throwing away an awful lot mm. of materials if you do that, and you're wasting a lot of good timber and so on. Um, so so we're, you know, we're getting better and better at that, but we've got a long way to go still in that area. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people understand it and do a lot more research, and that's why it's always good to pick on other people's brains yeah. and stuff like that. But it's not just a one-person job, too. I mean, I know you do a lot of research on it and stuff like that. I don't do much research on it for lack of time, really, basically, but some people know a lot more about it, and, you know, that's why I talk to people. Share your knowledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Share yeah. your knowledge. If you do understand something and you've got a good idea about it make, it, make it known, you know. Let other people know, let the clients know, let the architect know, you know, or vice versa. And what are some of the common mistakes you uh, maybe observe in industry, not necessarily in your own projects, but other, other people's or stories you get told? What are some of the common uh, challenges that, or, yeah, issues that are arising and how could they be avoided with this better communication approach? It's usually around budget, mm. isn't it? It's budget. Mm. People don't like talking about money. Yeah, budget is the thing that people get into trouble with um, where they they don't want to talk about it at the beginning and a lot of architects are um, really bad at that because um, they don't want to sort of lose the job or embarrass the client or, you know, anything like that. But you've really got to be realistic and that's why... You know, when I said about Perry's um, magic way of working through budget, taking off GST, taking off fees. Well, yeah, working backwards. I mean, if you've got a kitchen and bits and pieces, you take all those figures out and all of a sudden you spend 150 grand and you haven't done anything. And then, so that gives you an idea of costings. But with, with budgets and bits and pieces, that's not necessarily a builder's job. That's with the architects. You guys know your budgets and stuff like that before what their budget is. The builder shouldn't really know that because it's not pricing or anything like that. We have to price it individually or independently without knowing that. But it's almost like sometimes you, you butt heads with a client over a payment or over something that's silly, like, you know, if it's something more major, obviously there's disputes and all that sort of stuff. 
But if it's but the ones that are so simple and that they turn into a nightmare for for both people, mm. uh, they're really sad. I can't understand why that even happens, to be honest. But it it does. I, yeah, I, I had a job not with Perry but with another builder a couple of years ago, and, and um, the job only had two weeks to go, and the client the client and the builder had fallen out. So I had this one person was on my landline, and that was the client. She was inside the house, and the builder was outside the house on the scaffolding. And they were both like having good old moan about everything um, to me. So I sort of was like right <laughs> on it here. And I, it was like dealing with two teenagers. We've only got two weeks to go. We're nearly there. It's going to be okay. But that comes back to that whole communication thing and their communication had just totally broken down. And we got there in the end, but I really had to like be really nice to the builder, be really nice to the client. But we're going to get there. What else do you need? You know, I'll help you do whatever you need to do this. And finished result was really great, but man, it was hard work. So it's that sort of communication thing that um, I suppose we talked about at the beginning that's just essential, you know, especially when things do go pear-shaped. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, people should go back um, and not walk away and they should just own up to whatever the issue is and sort it out because a small problem quickly becomes a big problem. People say, oh, word and mouth, word and mouth. There's a lot of plumbers and mm. electricians that mm. don't even advertise because they've got their builders mm. and then they get their, their referrals and things like that. It's the same with builders over a period of years. Like mm. the first five to 10 years of my self-employed building career, I would have advertised in the yellow pages and uh, something like 70% to 60% mm. of my work was coming from there. Now it's probably 5%. And some of the time I can't even do them and I, you know, they're just little jobs or whatever and things like that. And the rest of it is from clients that I've had in the past through um, Judy and for other architects and things like that. It's just, it, that's what it is now mainly rather than the other way around. So if you come back and you sort something out, if there's any issues and stuff like that, even if it's not necessarily your fault, if it keeps the client happy and it's no real bad skin off your back sort of thing, then mm. it's definitely worth doing. Yeah, definitely. You kind of, I mean, you learn from mm. your, you learn from your mistakes, don't mm. you? You know, you learn when you um, when things don't feel right. Like um, I've had an example of you know a young architect where a job went badly over over budget, working in a big practice, and luckily the the partners in the practice were friends with the clients and managed to talk the clients into you know increasing the budget hugely. Um, but that's just good luck. I mean, that shouldn't happen. You know, as soon as you sort of start getting, as an architect, if, if you start getting a feeling like the job's going to get really, really expensive, you've got a responsibility to go back to your clients and say, look, I know you really want those steel-framed um, French doors or whatever, but actually um, your budget is way over and we need to pull back. Um, and that's one of our responsibilities as architects is to keep an eye on the budget and be realistic about that. Um, and I think like working with Perry, he brings that sort of stuff up with me. But also I think we're both quite good at um, looking at a, a house or an extension or whatever we're doing and saying, you know, is it really worth spending all that money mm. on those gold taps or on those steel doors or whatever? Look, this is a better option to the client, you know, and presenting it in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're losing out on something, yes. but just being more realistic. Mm. Um, everybody wants to have a decent house but you don't have to have the gold tax yeah definitely and it all boils down to the communication side of things mm. as well but like um, there's something that you think is not right yeah. then let them know you know and then um, or if it's just that's extravagant why spend all that when you yeah. can probably spend it on this you know if you're cutting corners on the kitchen and you want some fancy sort of 
mm. thing in the bathroom, then what's more important? Mm. I do, I do. So, we we did, um, Perry and I did do a job, mm. and um, they put in a horrible pitch in at the end of our project. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it really mm. like pissed me off. But then I thought, well, actually, you know what? The rest of the house is really beautiful, and mm. we've done a really good job on it. But just this one thing that they put in, and I keep thinking, you know, in the future, they might pull that kitchen out and put in a decent mm. kitchen. But it was just. Yeah, it was the one point where I kind of let go of things and let mm. that happen. And every time I walk into that house now, because it's sort of turned into quite good friends, I look at the kitchen, I'm like, oh. mm. <laughs> how did you let that happen? You know, how do we let that happen, Perry? Uh, how yeah, do we that, let that yeah, happen? That was pretty <laughs> we let ourselves down on that mm. one. Yeah. <laughs> look, let me reflect in closing on some of the key points I think you've raised. Uh, the first one, I think that communication is key. Uh, your point at the outset of that 90% of a successful building outcome is, is communication. So I think our listeners could uh, take that one on board and, and learn a lot. Um, setting good expectations at the beginning of a project is really, really key. Having high contact time with your clients before you uh, are fully engaged in the in the project so you learn more about them and get a sense of who they are as people and whether they're people that you'd be able to work with going forward. Uh, I liked your insight of talk budget early and also discuss contingency fees because we know that yeah. there will always be something that comes up. So if we have that set at the beginning, really, really valuable. Um, when issues do come up, be upfront, be honest and talk early about them. Uh, I got some good insight into the value of those weekly meetings, weekly site meetings that uh, you, uh, you being architect and builder are both present at, you know, and often with the, with the client as well. Um, I think you provided some interesting insights around the value of using a registered architect um, and certainly a full service one, not only great design and good qualifications, but certainly uh, liability insurance, guarantees, management of warranties, uh, some of those kind of things, and then reflected very much in using a registered master builder for similar, similar reasons. And I think that comes to having a great team, which you two clearly are. And if you can have a great team, but also with those uh, professional bodies sitting in behind you, then uh, you know clients are likely to get a get a good outcome. And your insights around sustainability doesn't have to be necessarily more expensive if you do it with good design. Uh, and that uh, yeah, your biggest uh, sustainability trip fix up what you've got. Don't build new. <laughs> no, and, I, and I'm absolutely paraphrasing that that last one because I know that wasn't the full sentiment of your um, insight there, there, Judy, but uh, I did like that uh, use of using what we've already got. It's a, it's a good way for us to think about uh, the earth in a whole lot of ways. Mm, yeah. um, is there anything else you'd like to add in in closing of, about how we go about achieving great, great outcomes for our customers? Um, I haven't thought about that question, but I mean, um, you can just say how wonderful Judy is now to work with. You know, <laughs> clearly, good team. Like the guys that I work with, the guys that work with me and, and stuff like that, the guys I employ uh, rave about Judy. And they, if I'm not doing one of her projects, they're always saying, Well, when are we getting another Judy job? When are we getting another Judy job? <laughs> is that because the design is so good or because Judy always brings muffins for Smoko? What's, what's no, 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 it's, it's a little <laughs> bit of both. It's also, it's not only the design, it's also the, the listening as well and the communicating. That's the first thing that really struck me about Judy is that she she listens and works with you rather than telling you what to do and and going from there and there's no egos and um stuff like that so that's what I believe in here that's why I, yeah I mean um like I really admire Perry and his team I'm like mainly I talk with Perry but I also really respect his full team 
and I think they do an amazing job um, and it's it's his builders but also all the subbies that he's worked with so he's built up this incredible group of people. When I was at architecture school I had no idea that I was going to be part of such a cool team you know and my kids are like wow mum how are you friends with all those cool builders you know and it's that, that's really special to me that um, some of my best friends are builders, which is kind of weird. Um, well, not weird. It's just something I didn't expect to happen sure. as a sort of nerdy kid going through university. And I think that issue that Perry brought up before, I think is going to be a really important one for our industry, which is looking after our mental health, looking after our well-being, making sure that we don't all get burnt out, um, just learning how to say no um, we're actually too busy and if you want to wait you can wait but if you can't wait I'm sorry I can't do your job um, I think that should be sort of a go away lesson from today's talk because you know my dad's got this saying if it's worth it it'll wait and I think patience is so important in the, um, in the sort of moment we're in right now um, it's just to be patient and just take good time and then you get good results. There's mm. no, no point in rushing things and making mistakes. Yeah, or, or doing something and then saying, well, I wish I'd done that. Yeah. Or compromising. Yeah. As yeah. Well. yeah. From a client's point of view, if they had a really good feeling about that architect, there's probably a reason why I'd stick with it. And if you couldn't do it and they go somewhere else and they didn't have the same feeling and then they get the finished product and then they regret it, mm. you know, and they didn't save themselves any money. All they did was save themselves a little bit of time, but they didn't get the, what they mm. wanted in the end. Mm. So, and, and we then, don't want to have to go and fix it in a few exactly. years' time either. All the guys rest of their time to sit in the house that they regretted. Yeah, like, like we, mm. Perry and I have unpicked so many bad, mm. bad jobs. We don't want to have mm. to do that in like five mm. years' time, fix up all the mistakes that people mm. make now. Indeed, <laughs> so, indeed. Yeah. That's one, probably... what, sorry, one, one thing I do really enjoy about building, and I think a lot of builders would as well, is one of those jobs that you never stop learning um, and, and things like that. So it makes it quite interesting. It's not something that you get to a point where I don't need to know anymore. You know, if you're open to learning and, and stuff like that, then it's, um, you know, you get great satisfaction out of it and you're learning something. You can learn something off the worst guy on site, you know, and, and things like that, that there's a different, there's a different way of going about different things and all that sort of stuff. And it's, that's what I find mm. part of the fun of being a builder as well. And then I'm sure architects have the same thing. Yeah. You know, there's so many different ways about doing it and you can do it this way or that way. But I find that really rewarding yeah. anyhow. Yeah. So, yeah. Growth mindset, vitally important. Yeah. Look, Perry and Judy, like to thank you both so much for your contribution on the podcast today. Some of those insights have been uh, stellar and I think you guys could uh, almost create the blueprint of how a good architecture and builder uh, relationship can work and the value that it can deliver to the end client uh, outcome. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks cool. very much, Ryan. Thank okay, you. See you. See you later. Thank you. Bye-bye.